0: We are just believing every year, all the time, for people to be healed. And, you know, this is the thing about God that you if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't have to have uh, a special healing line. You don't have to be uh, called out or whatever. I mean, remember the woman with the issue of blood that... Uh, was following in the crowd, and she reached in and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and she was healed, and Jesus said, who touched me? So there was nothing anybody was talking about healing or whatever. She just grabbed it. I believe you can still grab healing today. So don't ever think that, well, I'm going to wait to the end of the service to get somebody to pray for me, God can heal you. While you're singing and worshiping, while I'm ministering, while you're taking a shower, while you're driving down the road. Amen. Don't ever limit God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. We believe for your word to go forth like a a sharp two-edged sword that pierces even the the soul from our heart and from bone from the marrow. We just believe for lives to be touched, minds to be renewed today. Thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to follow along this morning, you can go to rmfchurch.org. Click on media, then notes. And today is Trust the Process. Trust the Process. Psalms 37, 4 and 5 is our scripture that we've been going over. We'll be probably saying this for months to come, maybe the rest of the year. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and He will provide for you what you desire the most. Give God the right to direct your life, and as you trust Him along the way, you'll find He pulled it off perfectly. Amen. Uh, we talked about this last week, and... Uh, I believe, you know, we have that out there in the foyer to rethink God. I think we need to rethink our approach to God. It's not so much that what he needs. Uh, can you take a look at the mic? I hear it bouncing back and hit me in the face. Uh, it's not so much what he needs. It's so much as to what he wants us to walk in. So much as what he wants us to see for us to be awakened. And... uh Most of my life growing up, I always thought my relationship with God was based upon what I need to do for him. What he wants me to do for him. And uh, there's a lot of truth in that. But it's just the wrong approach to have with a relationship with somebody. What if you had that relationship with your spouse? Okay, could you make a list of rules? Now, you may have this after you get married, but I mean, before you... (laughs) Before you get married, I mean, what if they said, Okay, this is a list of rules I want you to do so we can have a relationship. Most people would say, bye. But yet, that's our approach before God. That's our approach to have a relationship with God. Matter of fact, that's what the, if you remember the Israelites, when God came down on the Mount, Mount Sinai, and it was burning and everything. And uh, the Israelite, the Bible says this, Moses drew near, the children of Israel ran. And then they said, to, and that was the time God said, I want to talk to the people. And the children of Israel said, we'll I have none of that. Moses, you get everything from God to ask him what he wants us to do. What he wants us to do. And that's how our relationship will be. That was an Old Testament, Old Covenant relationship. And the church is still swinging in to that same kind of mentality. And the problem with that, it's hard to trust someone like that. It's hard to get to know someone like that. And it's hard to believe everything that they say even. Amen. Well, I'm not, I say statements like that, and then people just run into a ditch and get stupid on it and say, So we don't have to obey, we don't have to do anything for God, we don't have to do, yeah, and you can run in this, on I 25 in the middle of the road, and you can do that too if you want to. It may be harmful to your flesh to do that, just so you know. But uh, I just know this, that when you think that I've spent enough time praying, I've spent enough time worshiping, I've spent enough years going to church, I've spent enough time reading the Bible, so now I'm pretty sure God, I'm in good with God. Now I think I'm uh, holy enough that I can step into the promises. The moment that's your mentality Jesus said that's called self-righteousness, and that's a stench. That is vomit smell to God. It is, because we cannot do anything to make our relationship to be worthy enough, and this is why we needed a Savior. This is why Jesus came. Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalms 1.1 says this. What delight comes to the one who follows God's ways? He won't walk in step with the wicked, nor share the sinner's way, nor be found sitting in the scorner's seat. His pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I am, meditating day and night in the true revelation of light. He will be standing firm like a flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of his life. He is never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, ever prosperous, ever prosperous. He's just a blessed. I believe this, you know, I was talking with Chris this morning, and I said, you know, I I know that, you know, how many remember this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to, okay, we're done. But anyway. We all think that to, to our, let our light shine is to make sure that we're telling people about Jesus and so people know that we're Christian, and I believe that. I believe that. But in reality, I think there's something bigger and better than that, letting your light shine. When the children of Israel in the land of Goshen, remember Goshen was in the middle of Egypt, not on the outskirts. It was in the middle of Egypt when they were slaves, and when God <clears throat> did all of those miraculous signs, uh, Egypt felt it. Goshen did not. When the hail came down and destroyed everything in the land of Goshen, hell was not fall- falling. When uh, all the flies, the frogs were all over Egypt, In the land of Goshen, they were not. When the whole land of Egypt turned to darkness where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, I don't know. I mean, I want to watch that video when I get to heaven. Because in the land of Goshen, the sun was still shining. You step out of Goshen, it's dark. You step into Goshen, the sun's shining. I mean, that is impressive. That is just, wow. But I believe this... The the Bible says this. When the children of Israel left Egypt, they were set free. The Bible says it wasn't just the children of Israel left. Egyptians and people from every nation, tribe, and language left with them. Why? Because they knew that the God that the Israelites served was the true God because there was a difference I believe in the day in which we live. We're going to see a major difference between believers and people who don't believe. But let me clarify that. It's not just because we go to church. It's not just because we say we're Christians. I believe, this is my own opinion, so you don't have to agree with this. But I believe it's going to be because... They see believers walking in health. I believe they will see them walking in victory. I believe they will see them walking in prosperity like never before. And they're going to take notice. What is it about you that makes you so victorious, so prosperous, and so healthy, and just so happy in this God-forsaken hell-on-earth type world? And then that's when you and I get to say it's because of him, Jesus. That's why we sing this morning, he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. But in our scripture, Psalms 37, 4 and 5, it says, Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and he will provide for you what you desire the most. You know what you desire the most? Your desire. When people say, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do in my life, with my life. This is a key scripture for you. If you're trying to find out what you are supposed to do in life, why don't you just, you know, people just struggle with this. Why don't you just check on the inside what do you enjoy doing? What is your desire? What do you like? If it's the medical field, I mean, you don't have to really, people go, I just, I've talked to people like that. Well, I just really, I, I, I like the medical field. You know, I, I don't do this, but I want to go, duh. Why don't you just pursue the medical field? That's the will of God for your life. Well, I really like uh, law. Pursue that. Oh, I really like to start my own business. Start it. Don't and People are waiting for another burning bush. We already had one. You just need to believe God and trust what's on the inside. The Bible says that he will give you the desires of your heart and where the desires are inside of you. And so if you want God to just really help you, start relying upon what's on the inside of you and go for it. Go for it. Amen. The word delight, it's a Hebrew word name. It means uh, to be soft or pliable. It's speaking of having a sauce or sensitive heart toward God. So it says delight. So in other words, be soft, be be tender-hearted. You know, I've taught on spirit, soul, and body. You are a three-triune being. You are the real you is a spiritual person. You have a soul and you live in a body. Your body is your earth suit. 2 Corinthians 5:17 says, when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, everything. Becomes new. You're a new creature in Christ. And uh, 2 Peter 1 3 and 4 says that he's deposited everything inside. You've got everything that you need in life to be victorious deposited into your spiritual man. All right? Are you following me? So everything that you need to have victory is on the inside of you. Amen. So it's on the inside of you. You're a new creature. And, uh, but I just want to touch on something this morning about having a hard heart. It may be a little bit different teaching from what you've heard. You know, I'll give you a, a, the scenario. Of Jesus, uh, he has a huge crowd. And it's getting late in the evening. And his disciples says, you know what, we need to send them home because uh, it's way past supper time and Walmart is closed. So we need to feed these people, or they need to go home so they can eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. So you know the story. He feeds 5,000. It's actually over 5,000 because they just counted men at that time. And so it was probably could have been 10 to 15,000 people over a little boy's lunch, five loaves and two fish, five pieces of bread and two fish. And he feeds them all, and they just keep giving out food and keep giving out food and keep giving out food until everybody's had enough, everybody's had seconds and thirds, and, and everybody's full, and they pick up and have 12 baskets left over. Now that is a church picnic. That's good. It's miraculous. But then we pick up the story in Mark chapter 6. I'm gonna read a few verses here. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. It says, immediately. He made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea where the disciples were, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Just get this picture in your mind. Now, here's the disciples in this boat. Jesus is not even looking at him. He's just going, not even looking at him. He's just going to kind of like ignoring them. All right. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all said, uh, "Saw him and were troubled." Were troubled. You think? But immediately. He talked with them and said to them be of good cheer it is I do not be afraid then he went up to the boat to them and the wind ceased as soon as he stepped in the boat the wind stopped and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvel for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was what their heart was hardened when they had crossed over they came to the land of jis Je- 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 and they anchored there. This is what the King James Version says in verse 51. They were sore, amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. The Passion Translation says, they were completely and utterly overwhelmed with astonishment because they failed, listen to this, they failed to learn the lesson Of the miracle of the loaves and their hearts were unwilling to learn the lesson. Their hearts were unwilling to learn the lesson of the miracle of the loaves and the fish. If you look on the message translation, verse 52, there's a small letter, F. And I read it and it says, Their minds were dull or unwilling to learn. Their hearts had been hardened. The implication is that they were unwilling to accept new information. Every miracle carries a message, and they missed it. But it was because they hardened their hearts. Apply this to your situation and my situation. For example, maybe you're struggling with a a desperate financial problem, maybe a marriage problem. Maybe a, a, a doctor diagnosed you with a major sickness that can't be helped. And here comes Jesus. And there you are, and you see him, and he's just walking. And it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And he would say this Oh, money? You need money? Saving a marriage? Healing a sickness? That's nothing. He would say that. that's nothing. And then he just walks keeps on walking. And like the disciples, we would be sore amazed or utterly overwhelmed as it says in the, in the passion translation. right? You'd be sorely overwhelmed. Hardness of heart is not just rebellion towards God. Most of the time people think if you're a hard, hardened to God you're just a rebellious person no not according to this story the disciples hardened their heart because they were just came from a miracle and now they're in the boat in the middle of the sea and they're thinking that God cannot help them or like some people this must be the will of God because This is our lot in light, and God is sovereign, and if God is sovereign, then, you know, this is just what's supposed to happen. You know, I've taught on sovereignty before, but I'm telling you what, if there's ever a misconception of the sovereignty of God, it's in the church. Because most people think, well, if anything happens to me and everything that happens on this planet, it's the will of God because he's sovereign. Really? If that's what you think? If that's the case... I would quit serving God. The rapes, the murders, children getting killed, that's all the will of God. And then we say, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. (laughs) Don't think so. No. God's not sovereign in the fact that he's in control of every single thing. It's called free will. He gives people free will. He says, I put man Adam and Eve into the garden. He tells them what they should do or should not do. But he didn't go down there and stop them and use his sovereignty and say, I said, don't eat the apple, man. Don't eat it. What did he do? He let them. Why? Because love lets you have free choice. That's what love does. So, the world is in a place where it is today because of the choices man has made. Amen? Amen? But hardness of heart, in the simplest sense, it's re- relating more easily to the natural ram than it is to the supernatural ram. I'm gonna say it again. It's relating more easily to the natural ram than it is to the supernatural ram. And so, by that definition, all of us have issues with hardness of heart. Amen? We should reach a place where we're more moved by what God says than by anything else. What his word says, what he's spoken to your heart. When Jesus fed the 5,000 people, I believe, don't get me wrong, I believe he was blessed, but I, didn't, I don't believe he cried out and goes, wow, that is just so amazing, man, I didn't expect this. Woo, glory to God, thank you, Father. I think he was blessed, but I don't think that was his response. I believe there was an expectation that that was going to happen. There was an expectation that that was going to happen. Likewise, the same Jesus that did that is the same Jesus that lives in you and me. So we need to get to a place... Listen to me now. We need to get to a place where that is our expectation and not, you know, oh, I pray for somebody. You go, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I just, oh, I didn't believe that was going to happen. And that's probably why it doesn't. Don't get me wrong. I believe you get excited when you see miracles and everything else. What is our expectation? How does this apply to us? For example, you know, we believe it's the will of God for you to be healed, to be well. And if I said, you know, quote a scripture, you know, you could say, man, by his stripes, we were healed. Himself, Matthew chapter 8, himself took our infirmities, bore our sickness. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes, we... Are healed. And so you could quote that, but if you look around, you know, all of us, including myself from time to time, we struggle in that. But is this the problem? Does the word not work all the time? Does it depend on what kind of mood God is in? Does it depend on if you really, really please God that week or this very moment? Because a lot of people think that. And so what do they do? They struggle to, to get to a place where they could please God so they could, you know, get rid of this disease or have their needs met or get blessed or have their marriage d- d- do better. And so you just struggle and struggle and struggle. And I'm telling you, that will get you nowhere to the point to where people will quit God because it just doesn't work. And it doesn't work. There has to be a rest in the body of Christ where we rest in what Jesus has done for us. Are you hearing me? That's why you trust the process of what Jesus has done for you. There has to be a trust. There has to be a trust. But you and I cannot trust somebody that we don't know 100% what their character is, number one. For most people on the planet, or I should say a lot of people on the planet, they think God may want them sick. They think God may want them poor. Well, he has a few favorites, you know. But for me, you know, I mean, if you've got kids, if you've got more than one kid, you can understand this story. What if you had three, four, five kids and, you know, and uh, uh, or, or Matt has nine? Nine kids. He really took for literal to replenish the earth. But anyway, with one family. But... This, would you say, well, you know, I want this one, these two, to be really, really blessed. You know, but these three, sometimes they just get underneath my skin. And you know what? I'm okay with them struggling financially. And, you know, if they have to live underneath a bridge, they'll learn a few things. Would any good father want that for their kids? You know, I've got a few favorites. I want some of them to struggle. I want some of them to do good. Now, granted... There may be thoughts in the back of your head (laughs) because, oh, dear Lord. But you don't, I mean, you're not going to voice that, hopefully. But, I mean, all in all, when when you get up in the morning, you love all of your children the same. You want all of them to be blessed. You want all of them to have victory. You want all of them to have more than what you ever had in life. Is that what, am I talking to some good parents here? And yet... We talk to our father, God, and believe the character of him is that, well, he's got some favorites, you know, and he just probably wants me to struggle with my health. He probably wants me to struggle with my finances, you know, and I'm sure he's teaching me something. And you think, really? So you think that you are a better parent than what God is. Ouch. Ouch. Trust. Some people say, well, maybe I just don't know enough and I need to learn more. And and I believe we know plenty. I do believe we know plenty. Well, what's the deal? Abraham. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let me go back. Proverbs 4.20 says this, My son, attend to my words, incline thy ear into my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. The word incline, it doesn't mean the position of your head. It means how you're paying attention. Do you know the character of God of how you're hearing him? You know, there's been controversy, you know, about how God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So, in other words, people say, see, God was sovereign, and he literally hardened somebody's heart. He hardened it. Well, let me just give you some insight. Pharaoh had all these miraculous signs happen to him. I mean, can you imagine the signs that he had? And yet... He still would not believe Moses. He still wouldn't believe the word of God. Even though he had all of these sign after sign, he wouldn't believe. He chose not to believe. To the degree that once they left, the children of Israel, he says, why did we let them go? Let's chase them down. So he chases them down, and God puts a a cloud, a pillar of fire in between them. And he stops, and and that was during the daytime, and then by nighttime, so it's over 12 hours, he's still waiting for that to disappear. And yet it brought darkness to the army of, of the Egyptian army, and the Bible says it brought light to the children of Israel. And he sees this, and yet he's waiting, like, I'm gonna get him. Really? He had so many choices, and he chose not to believe. And so the Bible says, and God hardened his heart. He hardened it because they kept seeing all of these signs, and Pharaoh chose not to believe. So therefore, his heart was hardened, just like the disciples saw the 5,000, and they hardened their hearts. So the Bible could interpret it, and God hardened the heart of the disciples. Are you getting this? We can do the same thing. We can do the same thing by hardening our heart, by uh, you see things, you read things, or you understand things, and yet when it comes to your situation, you don't believe that God's going to do it. What is that? It's a hardness of heart. This is not, don't condemn yourself and go, oh, I know, I'm, oh, man. No, this is to help you. Just build a trust that God can do this. Build a trust in knowing the character of God. If you understand and know the character of God, that's got to be your foundation. No matter what, I'm never going to point my finger at God and say, You said you would bless me. You said you would heal me. You said, you said. I'm never going to do that. I've done that in the past, but I'm never going to do that. Why? Because that's not the character of my father. He is not withholding healing from you. He is not withholding blessing from you because he's already given it to you. We need to be awakened and see. Paul said this, I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened that they may know. So we need to know. So don't condemn yourself. And listen, I know it's hard sometimes. It is. But it's a journey. And guess what? God's okay with this. God didn't tell the disciples, okay, everybody get out of the boat. Swim to the rest of the side. He didn't. He loved him through the process. God loved those disciples through the process. Knowing that Peter was going to deny him, Judas was uh, going to uh, be a traitor to him. Thomas was going to doubt him. He did. All, he knew all of them. He watched Judas's feet. He loved Judas. He did everything. He loved him through this whole process, knowing what they were going to do. How much more does he love you and me? In all of our ugliness, and all of our brokenness, and all of our doubt and unbelief, God never is going to say, "Get out of the boat in the middle of the ocean. Good luck. Have a nice trip." He's never going to do that. Ah. It's funny that uh, skeptics always demand evidence for God's existence. But evidence will never make a person believe. Because the Bible says in Romans 10.10, a lot of people quote that. That with the heart one believes. Your heart is where you believe. You know, you have a spirit. I mean, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. The bridge between what's in your spirit to your soul is called the heart. You remember that teaching? The heart is what bridges the soul, your spirit for everything to be manifested, your heart. So in Romans 10, 10 it says, with the heart, one believes. Not because of evidence out here or the lack of it, it's with the heart. Man believes. So people will say, well, if if there was enough evidence, I would believe. No, they wouldn't. Look at Pharaoh. Holy cow. Look at the disciples. For three years, they had all the evidence of the world that he was the son of God. even said that he was the son of God. And then Peter, after three years of doing all this, goes, nah, I don't know him. He didn't just deny that he was the son of God. He says, never known the man. Jesus who? So it's not evidence that's going to cause you and I to believe. It's your heart. What's going on in your heart? With the heart, man believes. The issues of life come out of the heart. So what is in your heart? This is why it's a journey because the heart is still, you're mending in it and getting it to where it believes. Faith comes by So you keep hearing faith, you keep hearing the word of God, you keep knowing, and this is the thing, there comes a point of trust where you just rest. You just rest. When the finance, you look at your checkbook and it goes, hmm, you know, you used to respond like, oh, Jesus, you see this, look, look. As if he, he, he has a hard time, you know, reading It's so far from heaven. He has to put glasses on or something, you know, or, or it's Braille. If you make it Braille, he could read it. But, I mean, you, we respond that way. But there comes a point in time you go, you know what, this is what my checkbook says. But, God, your word says that my God meets all of my need according to his riches and glory. Which one? is more real to you. This is a fact. The checkbook is a fact. You can't say, oh, it, no, it, no, no. You just have to find out which one you're going to agree with and trust in the most. My checkbook says this, but God, I'm trusting your word more than I trust my checkbook. I'm trusting your word more than I even trust what my body's telling me. I'm trusting your word more than in my emotions. I'm trusting your word no matter what. You can get to that point and it's a, it's a, then you rest. You just rest. Rest in God. I rest in God. You say, man, I want to be there. Well, we're on this journey together, amen? We are. It's a bit confusing to our modern minds when it says that God hardens their hearts. It simply means that he gave them over to what they wanted. They refused to believe, so he let them close their hearts to the truth. That's hardening of the heart. That's what the disciples did, and that's what the Pharaoh did, and that's what you and I do. I just wanted this message to come out today to let it be a signal light on your dashboard like a signal light on your car. If you see check engine, isn't that the worst light on your dashboard? Don't you just want to just go, okay, maybe you don't, but I mean, I just hate that light. I just hate that light, you know? I mean, you're like, oh. Because it could be 5,324 things. You know, if it just said, oh, you're, I, I mean, when you have low fuel, it's not so bad. You go, you're low on fuel. Go to a gas station quickly and spend $160 to fill it up. But anyway, you, you know. You know. But if it's a check engine, it's like, what is it? And it could be something as, you know, a sixty dollar part or a six thousand dollar part, you know, like your transmission's done, toast, or whatever. But this is what I wanted to do today. Because of this message, I hope it puts a, a light on your spiritual or your soul dashboard. It goes, Okay. I've hardened my heart to this. I'm hardening my heart in this situation. I am. Not the devil, not God. God is saying, this is truth. You've chose not to believe the truth. And because you've chose not to believe the truth in that one particular area or even that one particular instance of that day or even part of the day, you and I have hardened our heart. The good news is Jesus is so patient. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient. God is more patient than anybody. He will be patient with you, working with you, and your a hardness of heart. He goes, that's okay. That's okay. I'll work with you on this. I'll work with you on this. And he will. Amen? Aren't you thankful? So don't get discouraged. Do not get discouraged. Don't think that, oh, man, I'm telling you what, God is just, what does he think of me? I'll tell you what he thinks of you. You're the apple of his eye. He loves you. He adores you, and he believes that your future is bright. He just wants you to see it. And the light that is inside you, he wants you to shine bright to the world around you. Because if there's ever been a dark time of the world, it's today. And the world needs to see your light shine. Let's stand. Amen. The truth will set you free. The truth that you understand and know and implement in your life will set you free. So, this wasn't a message to discourage you, condemn you. This is a message just to just wake you up to say, Hey, thank you, God, that I'm going to start being pliable in my heart. I'm going to work on my heart to be pliable. I may not believe all of your promises. The Bible says all the promises of God are and, in other words, yes, and so be it. But they may not be manifesting like that in your life, and it does not mean that God is against you or disappointed with you. He's going to keep teaching you. I'm going to keep teaching. He's going to speak through me. He's going to speak to you. He's just going to keep loving you until there's no more breath inside of you. He will keep working with you. He never gives up and the amplified version of first Corinthians 13:8 says love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. That's how God thinks about you. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you in Jesus name for your patience with us. That we can trust the process of believing you, trusting you, knowing the character of you, God. I believe all of us for our eyes to be open. I believe for each and every one of us those here and those who are watching online, we believe in the name of Jesus for our eyes to be open, for truth, for a light bulb moment. A light bulb moment of how much God loves us and his word is so powerful. It's more powerful than any sickness, more powerful than any lack. Just like the words of Jesus, we're going to feed 5,000 people today. Five loaves and two fish. What a powerful thing. And yet it happened. Because Jesus expected it to happen. May that become a reality for every circumstance that we're in. That God is going to pull me through this. I don't know how, but I trust him. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.